Hello, and welcome. I'm your host, Broadsword, and we're here today to talk about DC Comics. This week, we're discussing the story behind John Constantine Hellblazer, Dead in America, number one, cover dated March 2024. The issue was written by Simon Spurrier and was illustrated by Aaron Campbell. And I should tell you right up front that this issue is for mature audiences only. Today is January 22nd, 2024, and this is the DC Comics History Cast. Let's go! By way of introduction, this is not an attempt to tell you what to read. That's already being done elsewhere, and done well, I should add. Nor is this an attempt to review comic books, although I might do a little bit of both of those along the way. My purpose here is to help you fill in the gaps in your knowledge so that you get the most enjoyment possible out of your readings of DC's comic books. Each week, I take one book from DC's output for that week and break down anything you might need to know about the characters, references, and events in that issue. Advance warning, there are sure to be spoilers. I very nearly chose to take a look at a different comic book this week, especially as there is a fairly good synopsis of recent events in the book itself, but the opportunity to examine John Constantine's history, especially as it ties in with Neil Gaiman's Sandman, was simply too delicious to pass up. First off, I feel that I should address one common source of debate, although I refer to the character here as John Constantine. My understanding is that Alan Moore, who created the character, intended for the name to be pronounced Constantine. What's more, over the years, the character himself has, on several different occasions, stated that his name is correctly pronounced in the latter fashion. Constantine. So make of that what you will. Another common misconception is that John first appeared as a Vertigo character. Vertigo being DC's imprint for mature readers that ran from 1993 to 2020. While it's true that the character's first solo series was Vertigo's longest-running title, Vertigo didn't even exist when John Constantine first appeared in Swamp Thing Volume 2, number 37, in 1985. Nor was the imprint in existence when Hellblazer number 1 hit the stands in 1988. What this means is that the adventures of John Constantine, although appearing in many books published by Vertigo, have always been set in the DC Universe. There were a handful of titles about which this was true, aside from Hellblazer, Sandman, Swamp Thing, and Animal Man, just to name a few. This has been a source of confusion over the years, as many readers assumed that if the name on the cover was Vertigo, then the book was not set in the DCU. While this was true of many Vertigo titles, readers would be better served to take things on a title-by-title basis as to whether or not the contents of a particular comic book were and or are canon to the DC Universe. As alluded to previously, British John Constantine first appeared in the mid-80s in an Alan Moore scripted issue of Swamp Thing. Interestingly, John's second appearance was in the seminal series Crisis on Infinite Earths, when he made a cameo in issue number 4, further proof that Constantine is in fact a DC character, not just a Vertigo property who has been shoehorned into the DCU. With the launch of the New 52, a younger... Constantine was once again integrated more fully into the DC Universe in titles like Justice League Dark and his own monthly series. 
Since then, John has been subject to the vagaries of DC's line of publishing, surviving changes like Rebirth before being transitioned into a line of books with the heading The Sandman Universe, which, as far as I can tell, basically consists of books and characters that were once part of Vertigo, but which always belong to the DCU. I should point out here that with the New 52 reboot, John Constantine is no longer one of the few comic book characters to age in real time which was the case during his time as part of the Vertigo line. This issue starts off with a bit of a laugh, as a withered, desiccated, zombie-like body, presumably John himself, is attempting to climb up a steep hill when he notices that a nearby group of people is shooting an adult film. In his distracted state, his arm snaps off and he goes falling down the hillside, cursing all the way. But I mentioned that this book is not for kids. We then flash back to a scene a few weeks earlier where John is having a discussion with a demon who has inhabited a nearby statue. Their talk is interrupted by the arrival of a girl who appears to be a Girl Scout, and who answers several important questions for John in short order before disposing of the demon, and stating that she just wanted to get a good look at John, who then reveals that his heart has not beat in over 17 days. The entertainment proceeds apace until John is visited by Daniel, current King of Dreams, also known as Sandman. Sandman reveals that a statement made by John way back in Sandman's own comic book, Sandman Volume 2, issue number 3 from 1996, was in fact a lie. Now, John is an unrepentant liar, so this should come as no surprise to those who have followed his adventures, but it's still a cool reference. The lie in question is John's assertion that he could not even get Sandman's pouch of sand open. For those of you who have either read the aforementioned issue or watched the Sandman series from Netflix, you will recall that the pouch of sand was one of the items stolen from Morpheus, Daniel's predecessor by his captor, one Roderick Burgess. It is revealed here for the first time that John did indeed get the pouch open and did use some of its contents. It is also revealed in this conversation that the Girl Scout who appeared to John previously in this issue is going to be the big bad of this series. John returns to the real world and in an encounter with a racist police officer before making his way to Louisiana and a meeting with the one and only Swamp Thing. So Bethany, what did you think of this issue? So this issue was really good big departure from what we've been reading Mm -hmm. a little bit yeah Yeah, a little bit uh in what ways did you find it to be a departure i mean i agree with you i'm just curious to know what you think well we're reading the suicide squad right now so in in our in our personal yeah so it's completely different (laughs) yeah (laughs) you know it's also different than what i expected um i john uh constantine time whichever uh book to be um, and how so? I don't know. I think I guess I had preconceived some preconceived notions from uh, some of the videos uh, that we've watched, like uh, you know the Constantine movie with um, Keanu Reeves in it, and oh the uh, the Sandman show, uh, and then of course there was the uh, the cartoon uh, that we watched, which I thought was really good. What cartoon are you referring to? Oh, you know, I don't know any names. Um, it's the one where the Spectre imprisoned him. Okay, so the John Constantine Showcase, DC Showcase. Yes, which I enjoyed the movie very much. short. Right, which I enjoyed very much. I especially liked the uh, the little lesson <laughs> about it, you know, that, 
<laughs> I thought that was really good. But I think this, the way he's depicted in in the the films or the cartoons, uh, he's kind of a lovable jerk, I guess, would be the way I would say. You know, like, he's got his issues, but overall he's, you know, for the good. But in this, he was really quite selfish and so self- oh, he's a bad guy yeah I, I mean he's a good guy but he's not a good guy <laughs> no and this really showcased that yeah you know it, it really brought out what a non-nice person he is and uh how very self-serving he is that, that's a key phrase when it comes to yeah, John Constantine, I think. self-serving and i don't think the the movies or the the cartoons or things I've seen, like I said, I haven't seen a lot, but what mm-hmm. I have seen, he's not really as self-serving as to the extent that he's portrayed in this comic book. And that was, I found that a little surprising because generally I have liked John Constantine, what I have seen of him, but in this, I did not like him too much. It's, that's funny because when he said, I thought you were going to say something else. And I was thinking, you know, when he said that he was a lovable jerk, I was thinking, I don't know how lovable he is. But there was uh, definitely redeeming qualities that, you know, but... That he has had in some other... Right. Places Venues. We've seen it. Uh, yeah. But this, he he was just completely self-absorbed. He really is. I mean, and that's... self-serving. Th- this... I think his name is Simon Spurrier. He does. He really has a great handle on John. It's it's really something to be able to write a character that is so narcissistic and self-absorbed, <laughs> but still be a quote-unquote good character, a hero, like a, a hero type mm-hmm. person that actually does good things, you know. But is somebody you would just not care to know. Yes. Uh, it, it's very difficult to write that. I think so. I he does a great job with it. He, he really do, does. And I, I'm, again, because I'm not that familiar with John Constantine, I think it was, it really did take me by surprise about how unlikable he was. And uh, it was a little bit disappointing, but at the same time, it's kind of like finding out your, you know, your friend isn't really your friend kind of thing. Yeah, he is not a friend. No, uh, reading this, I was like, you are not the person I thought you were. <laughs> what, yeah. what, in particular, I have to ask, what did he do in this comic book that, that opened your eyes, so to speak? There were several things, but I think lying to his son and having him kill somebody and damning him was like right up there with uh, number one. I mean, just right <laughs> off the bat. Yeah. You know, um, he has some incredibly funny lines, though. Um, That's one thing I like about this book is that it is funny. It, it is. Um, Sometimes in the in this in the Hellblazer stuff that I've read in the past, that humor isn't always present. I like it. I think honestly, I think the only way you could I personally could stick with a a series like this would be if there was humor to it. Um, he's got to have something that is that draws you back. If you have just a bad character, you know, a bad person, mm-hmm. even though they're doing good, you have to have something that makes you want to come back because you're not going to come back just for that. 
you know, humor, an occasional glimmer of, so there's something very deep there, you know, deep within him, something. Um, the humor, I particularly like the humor. Uh, I like that about this also. Getting distracted by the pornography. The comment uh, when he was trading insults with the demon statue. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that was hilarious. Yeah. It was a, f- a funny little interchange. It, it, it was. And uh, I think if there was more of that wit, that humor, um, I would definitely keep coming back for it because I enjoyed that very much. I liked that, that dry, dark humor of it. Mm-hmm. It was good. I liked it. I agree with you about this, about this book. The guy that wrote this also was writing a John Constantine book in like 2020 that was canceled I want to say after 12 issues but we might you and I in our in our personal reading might visit that next okay. to well, i interested in that I, I am interested in the character like I said it was a surprise but now that once I got over the initial shock of the true character <laughs> um, and not the Hollywood version of it well said uh, it, it's a he's very interesting and uh, I, I'd like to to see more of it and, and see what he does, you know, and see how it pans out with his son. Yeah. And uh, see if he grows. Some one of the things that you said in your uh, in your history lesson was that he was now he he was aging in real time, and mm-hmm. now he's not. I have no idea what you mean by that. Okay, good question. For a long time, when John's book was a vertigo title he had a birthday every year that was part of the story like they would you know he'd have a party or some mention of his birthday every year in the same month that birthday was on may 10th um so but he had a birthday every year with reboots come changes so he's younger since he was reintegrated into into the DC universe and he doesn't age every year like he was doing he doesn't have a birthday every year or you know so he's not aging in real time anymore he's just from that perspective now he's just another comic book character that is as old as the editor or the writer wants him to be right i kind of <laughs> like the freedom of that but at the same time i can see why you might like the consistency of the yearly age thing every year that would put an interesting spin on it, depending on how long it was being written by a particular writer. He had, um, during the initial 300 issue hellblazer run, Mm -hmm. when most of it was a vertigo title, I think vertigo started like with issue 63 thereabouts. He had a, a few sizable runs by different writers, a couple years each, you know, Enough to tell a couple good stories. Okay. Lengthy stories. I liked the um, the way they interacted with each other, the team. The team? Yeah. The team. <laughs> I think he'd get a kick out of you calling it that. Well, what else would you call it? I don't know. The team is as good a word as any. <laughs> a cadre, a posse. <laughs> what else would you call posse it? might be good. Um, is, he, uh, is he known for getting out of... Getting people out of the situations he puts them in? Like, has he put people in these, this type I'd, of situation before? I'd say before? he is more known for saving his own skin. Yeah. 
Yeah. That's not good. I mean, I think that if he gets you in a bad situation, he'll try to get you out of it. But if he doesn't? It's not the end of the world. He, <laughs> he, he does carry around some feelings of guilt. He has some baggage. So he carries around a lot of guilt. It doesn't do anybody any good that he carries around this guilt. Because he'll feel guilty about it if he does you dirty. But it's not going to pro- stop him from doing you dirty. Well, it depends on how dirty. Like, I mean, if he just, like, stole something, I don't think he'd bat an eye. Well, that's not a guilt thing, then. Right. But, I mean, <laughs> like, if he caused your death or for your soul to be lost forever in the pits of hell or something, he would probably feel bad about that, I think. Feel bad about it. But it wouldn't have stopped him from doing it. No. It wouldn't stop him. I thought it was funny that he he is less than, less than courteous uh, when it comes to how he uses his magic. It's the way the, the demon described it. Um, you're using a McDonald's serviette instead of the, the virgin, virgin parchment. Um, and I have a feeling <laughs> that's pretty much how he rolls for all of his magic. That is very much how he rolls. He doesn't do anything according to the rules. He just takes whatever and it can deal with it. Well, he's like a great filmmaker or a great artist in that he knows the rules and knows how and when to break them. I think that's 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 interesting, but at the same time, I think it probably insults every other magic being and thing in the room, including demons. That's probably true. It, they actually find it; they're actually insulted by it. I think. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Yeah, there in this book, in this issue, there are so many little things that speak volumes about John's personality, like that exchange that you were just describing between he and the and the demon and the Ponce de Leon statue. Yeah. And um like the double decker bus. And it just he's a very complicated, complex character. A complex man. That's it for this episode. Make sure to tune in next week for more DC comic book history and take care. <laughs>